turn to that. Uh, if you find the page, please shout out. In the red ones, 902. Is that the same as the blue ones? 989, some might call it green. So, what do you say here? Sorry, light blue. Yeah, I'm with, yeah, that's great. Cool. So, um, we'll, we'll come to that. It'll also be on the screen if, if, uh, you've not got a Bible. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's a challenging topic to talk about God's presence because it's, um, it's sort of by nature invisible. Like, well, it's like God, I guess, isn't it? By nature invisible, it's quite hard to, to grasp. So, in many ways, I expect I'll do a very poor job. And what I mean by that is there's just no way that you can really explain it comprehensively. Mainly because, as I'll say in a little bit, the presence of God isn't something to be mainly explained. It's meant to be something experienced. Um, so, bear that in mind as I try to explain the irony. So, uh, we are a church of God's presence and uh, there are two two points Number one and number two. The man is number one. Number two is the movement. You could also put it as um, the person in the presence or the individual in the interactions or maybe my favorite, glorious God and God's glory. See what I did there? Yeah, do you like that one? All alliteration, double alliteration that one. Hadn't thought of that. But I'm going to go with the man and the movement because that's um, the one I like. So um, the reason I say the man and the movement is because when we talk about God's presence, we um, we have to remember that it's it's God's pres- it's God's presence. So it's it's about God. It's it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, the the man, the wonder, the person. And um, so anything we experience, talk about, or, or see about God's presence is first and foremost about him. And so that's why I wanted to start with Colossians 1, uh, because it's one of many amazing bits of scripture that really just looks at the the splendor of Jesus, that just says, take a look at this guy. He's, you know, he's amazing. And so I wanted us to reflect on him first before we talk about the presence of God, because the, the presence of God is just when he is moving. So it's him. So let's read this. Uh, Well, I'll read it to you. Colossians 1, starting at verse 15, if you want to follow it as I read. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth 
by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you and me who were once far away from God. We were his enemies, separated from him by our evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled us to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So some of the words used to describe Jesus in that passage is Jesus is supreme over all things. That through him everything was made. Everything is held together and sustained. That through him um, everything was brought back to its original design of peace with God. Things that we can see, touch and experience, but also the vast things that we cannot see and do not yet understand. Even those things are back in a place of peace with God because of Christ. Christ being the the, the only visible, uh, tangible, um, fleshy example of God himself that God was pleased, was happy to, to to entrust all of himself into bodily form in Jesus. So whenever we talk about the presence, we're talking about him. We're talking about him. And we don't want to go further than that. I mean, I will because I'll keep talking. But we don't want to, in our mind, don't want to go beyond that. So it's the man, it's the person, it's the person of God. And and those characteristics of Jesus are seen in the Father and in the Holy Spirit. He is consistent in his character. Same, same, same. Cut them through, cut them all through. You'll see the same values, the same characteristics. So the movement. What do we mean by the presence of God? And I hear you say, good luck, Andrew. And I say, good luck to me too. Because, you know, there are lots of ways of explaining it. And I'm just going to basically use a few analogies and then a few examples from Scripture which are not necessarily definitions of the presence of God, but examples of the presence of God. But one of the analogies that I think is helpful for understanding the presence of God is um, we, we often have the question, which is, you know, when we say, oh, God is here, and then there's a challenge because, well, isn't God always here? Yes, he is. He's always here. So what do we mean by God is here or God is moving? And I think it's because the presence of God or, or God with us is a bit like the wind or air even. As I meant to say air first. I've given it away. Air. Um because it's ev- because it's everywhere, and it's completely invisible, and yet we'd be dead without it. We wouldn't we wouldn't be in existence without air. Yeah, I mean you could say if you're clever, fine. If you're in space, then there wouldn't be any air. All right, let's just think about Earth. Okay, but but the, but air can move. It's called wind. Air can move, and you can feel you can feel air. And you can often see, like this picture, you can see the effect of the movement of air. And I think when we think about the presence of God, um, it's sometimes the movement of God. What is God doing? How is God moving? And often we can see the effect of it on people around us or on our perspectives, on how we view situations or view people. We can see it, but we can't necessarily see the, we, we can't see the cause, but we can see the effect. And over time, we learn that that's, that's the presence of God, this invisible God on the move. Another example I had was of the sea. Uh, it's not a picture of me. 
I was trying to think who that looks like, and I, I, I thought there's a little bit of Hugh in there. A little bit. I think it's, I think it's a knees. I think it's a knees. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know who that is. Looks like he knows what he's doing there. And, um, and it's so, it, very similarly, the sea is something that is, you know, it's just a body of water, and, and yet it's not static. There's movement there. There's, there. there's waves that we can catch, that we can, we can sense the movement, and we can, we can learn to ride the waves. And as it is with God's presence, is a, it's not just a flat sea. It's dynamic. It's active. It's moving. Because God has a mission, and he's doing it. He has thoughts and wants and desires, and so he is at work. He's moving. So when we begin to think and talk about the presence of God, it's trying to, it's trying to connect in with the movement of God. What is God doing? How is he acting? What is he thinking? What is he saying? And how do we, how do we connect in with that? It's not that he wasn't there one moment and he is now, it's just that he's moving. And we have a choice, as with a sailor or with a surfer, to either, to either catch what God is doing and go with it, or to just bob on the surface and not move. So when we say we want to be a church centered on the presences, we want to be a church that, that hears or seal, feels or senses what God is doing, but also does something about it, who catch it, who go with it, who allow him to lead us and move us. Okay? So what is the presence of God like? I couldn't answer the question. So I thought I'd just pick out some examples from Scripture. Okay? So in the garden, we see... Garden of Eden, right at the beginning of, of Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve existed in in uh, in, a, in a space where God's presence was, well, God physically walked with them, always available. And yet in that place where God was everywhere, they could still make a choice where they weren't in the presence. So if you if you think about the moment where they disobeyed God, you know, I think the issue started with the fact that they weren't with God when they made a decision. You know, was this, was the sin just that they ate the apple, or was it that they made a choice without talking to God? I think the roots are a little bit earlier on. So the presence is something that can be around you, but you cannot engage with. That's something that we see from Eden. The wrestle, which is Jacob later on in Genesis, who his name means uh, a deceiver, a usurper, a cheater, a swindler. Yeah, I'm sure. There are other, if you're Jacob, that, that's, you don't mean you're like that. But that's for this guy, for this Jacob, he was true to his name. And there's this moment where God wrestles with him. And um, I, I love it. And God says to him, in, in the, Jacob says, uh, you can't go until you bless me. And so God says to him, what's your name? So God's response to the question, bless me, is what's your name? And in the Amplified Translation, it says that um, Jacob whispers with a sudden realization that his name is Jacob, usurper, swindler, deceiver. It's like he, he realizes who he is. He suddenly has this realization of, oh my goodness, that's me. So what does God do? Changes his name. You're no longer called Jacob. I call you Israel. But isn't it amazing that the, the response to the question, bless me, is that he allows him to see himself clearly. What a lovely blessing. What a challenging blessing. So sometimes in the presence of God, we see ourselves clearly. Not always the very positive things, but we just see, we see the reality of ourselves. And sometimes we just go, oh my goodness. 
that's me. That's what's going on. And then God changes it. Sometimes that's what it's like in the presence. Sometimes it's, it's like a, it's like a guiding fire. Like when Israel were being led out of Egypt. Sometimes the presence of God is this obvious, clear thing that tells us which way to go. And sometimes it's, it's much more subtle, like in the promised land where it's not right in front of their faces. It's much more available, but only if they ask for it. It's no longer a visible presence, but an invisible presence that they can tap into or not. It's amazing when, when God invites Moses to go into the promised land uh, the first time and he says, you know, you can go in, but I'm not going to go with you. It's going to be an angel with you. And it's um, and Moses makes this choice on behalf of all the people where he says, I have a greater value than my destiny being fulfilled. My greater value is to stay with the presence. So he actually fores- he, he foregoes the opportunity to experience the promised land firsthand because he values being in the presence of God more than he does of seeing the fulfillment of his dreams. That's a good challenge. Yeah, that Josh thought was really good. Yeah. So, four more examples for you. I'm just trundling through this, so I don't know if you trundle with me. This one's nice, isn't it? The passing, when God passes Elijah by. Elijah's um, got to the end of his tether. He thinks he's, you know, he just thinks he's going to, He's just fed up, fed up, can't do anymore. And he goes to Mount Horeb and God passes him by in this quietness. And it's like Elijah's framework of his relationship with God is changed in a moment from the loud and noisy to the quiet and subtle. Sometimes the presence of God is like that. It grows and develops our theology, our understanding of God. Sometimes it's like a cloud. So when uh, Solomon, King Solomon, who's king of Israel, builds this temple to house the Ark of the Covenant, to house the presence of God. As they commission it at the opening ceremony, this cloud appears and they all, they all fall on their faces because they, they sort of, they're just completely overwhelmed by it. Sometimes the presence of God is like that. Sometimes the presence of God is like a burning heart when, when like on, on the road to, uh, where they go? Emmaus. Thank you. All I had was Damascus, and I was like, that is not the right one. Wrong road. Uh, on the road to Emmaus, where, where um, Jesus is, is raised from the dead, two disciples are going somewhere, and uh, and this guy appears who's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus, and, and he explains the entirety of the Old Testament to them. And don't you love it that Scripture doesn't, doesn't tell you what Jesus said? It doesn't explain the entirety of the Old Testament, which would have been prudent. Some, you know, you might think it was useful. But what it does say, what it does say is the effect that the explanation had on the, on the listeners. Weren't our hearts burning? Have you ever, I, I, God chose to include that over the explanation of the entirety of the scriptures. Why? Because he wants us to recognize what it feels like when God is speaking rather than just telling us what God said to somebody else. Okay, so he wants us to know that sometimes when the presence of God comes, our hearts burn. And that's more important for us to understand than necessarily what Jesus said to those disciples because it enables us to access the voice of God rather than just accessing their experience of the voice of God. Hmm. I just thought of that. Thank you, Sarah. I'll talk to you from now on. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, 
And then the vision, I mean, the whole of Revelation is this open vision that is, I mean, mad open vision that a guy has of heaven and sort of the future and, and all sorts of odd things. And that's sometimes what the presence of God is like. And so the point I'm trying to say is that the presence of God, our experience of God's presence, is incredibly varied. And any attempt to knuckle it down to a pithy phrase or a, or a, a, a summarizable statement is, is foolishness. It really is foolishness. Because the presence of God is less to be studied and more to be experienced. Whoop. It's less a theory and more a reality. You can't really be taught it. You've just got to experience it. You can't really learn it. You've just got to live it. Now, as a church, why is God's presence important to us? And and to be honest, I you know I, I still feel like I'm I'm getting to know you know your our values. So, uh, so I'm still catching up with you. You know, you've got this culture that's been built over tw- twenty years, and I've only been here seven months. So I'm catching up. So I don't fully feel that yet these values are, are blossoming in me as much as I see them in you. But I'm catching up. So why is it important to us as a church? Why is God's presence important to us as a church? Chris last week spoke about we are a church who go to deep waters, who have a deep passion to to be the expression of uh, the mission of God, the love of God, to, to reach people that society struggles to reach or, or doesn't prioritize reaching to, to, to serve, to look after the poor, to try to create justice. And my, my sense is, is that if, if our love for the presence of God is like our heart and our service is like our hands, we want to have a hot heart and hot hands. We want to have amazing circulation. And right at the middle of, of our desire to be, to be people who make a kingdom impact on the world around us is our ability to, to discern and follow the presence of God. Now, as with any picture of the body, it sort of, it goes from an individual scale up to a church scale and, and keeps going bigger. And so, you know, in some senses, as a church, we will have some people who are more geared around the, the experiencing the presence of God and some people who are more geared around the uh, works of, of uh, good works of faith. And that's, and that's a healthy thing. That's a good thing. And even if you go bigger than that to the church in the city, we may be geared more towards the works of good faith, whereas other churches may be more geared towards the presence. And again, maybe that's a natural thing. But ultimately, as individuals, we all need to have this ongoing connection of realizing that it was the heart that Jesus had for the Father that led him to do what he did. And that his love for God, his love for the presence could have been no greater. And so if we struggle, if we find it challenging to get ourselves into God's presence, to experience it, to dwell there, and to act from there, we need to come back and go, God, I'm not living in my original design. Because if I'm made in the image of Christ, and his image was someone who never left the Father's presence to do what he did, I need, I need something to change. I need something to change. I want us to be a church who have hot, hot hands. You know, some of the symptoms of poor, a weak heart is, is cold extremities, cold hands, 
It's amazing when in John 15, Jesus says, I want you to um, bear fruit and fruit that, fruit that will last. And how does it happen? Through remaining in, in Christ, in God, being brought back in to dwell with him. And how can we send, this is a final question that you didn't ask that I'm answering. How can we center ourselves on God's presence? Um, and this, this little bit, I'll finish here. I think it's all about honor. Okay, so this is a little story from Mark 6 where Jesus is in his hometown and he's teaching and he's, um, and they're amazed at what he's saying and the, and the miracle, these miracles that he's done. Second verse, the next Sabbath he began teaching the synagogue and many asked who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all his wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honoured everywhere, accepted in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And it's that word, honour, that I think is really key. Honouring the presence of God. When when we sense something happening, when we pick it up, that we actually stop and go, actually, I sense, I, I sense you, God. I sense you, and I'm going to wait. I'm going to give you a moment. And you honour not out of duty, but out of affection. And there's this lovely cycle with honouring God, which is we only honour him really if we love him, and we only love him if we've experienced him, and when we experience him, we tend to honour him. And so it begins with this desire to experience God. Because the presence of God may be invisible, but it is tangible. Like those disciples whose hearts burnt, we're meant to be able to detect and discern it. We're meant to be able to feel it. And that is, it's very hard to talk about because it's like, you know, feelings. You can feel something invisible. It's very hard to ground it. Uh, and fine, it's hard. So let's deal with it. Let's, let's deal with the fact that we think our feelings can deceive us. I'm sure sometimes they can. Let's deal with the fact that sometimes um, maybe people make things up and call it the presence. Okay? They probably can. The analogy I use is of kitchen knives when it comes to this. You know, incredibly useful, yet can be used for incredible harm. Is the fault with the knife or the wielder? It's the, it's the person using it, isn't it? The presence of God is incredibly sharp. It's incredibly useful. It's essential to living the fullness of life that we're called to. Can it be abused? Yes. But really, for me, that just proves how powerful it is. So, yeah, I guess I don't want to talk too much because that sort of defies the point of what I'm talking about, isn't it? If you, if you talk. So I thought what I wanted to do was really just invite Paul and Grace up and for us to wait on the presence of God and say, God, would you move amongst us? Not would you, not, yeah, would you move? Would you move? And I want us to, I want us to, to push ourselves a little bit where, um, whether, especially if we're new to church or if we're very familiar with church, it gets quite frustrating when we, when we, it can be frustrating when we do this because it's like, oh, here we go, you know, here we go again. We're just doing this, this ungroundable thing. Yes, we are. Please will you come with us? Please will you try? Because, because we'll never learn otherwise. And I would hate for us to not grow. I would hate for us to, to not step further forward to actually be grown as people, to be grown as a church, because it's something that we think is un, un, you know, uncomfortable, not in our character. 
there's a million and one ways that we can experience a presence. There's no argument about that. But let me tell you that the gate is narrow because the gate is Jesus. It leads to a broad place and a wide place, but it's him, 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 him. He is there to be encountered and experienced. And we have to keep pressing into that and pushing into that. Would you stand with me? And we'll just pray and wait. We've got 10 minutes. So I'm just going to pray and then we'll just see if, yeah, what, what we sense, what we discern. Please go with us. Please, please just be open. When I say try, I mean just be open. Just don't close, don't shut down. So Holy Spirit, um, you desire to be experienced. You're, you're a real person. And so you desire to be known. Father, you you act, you do, you speak, you move. Will you help us to discern what you're doing, what you're saying and how you're moving now? And would we catch the wave and go with you?